Welcome to the Advisor Talk podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart, CEO and Authorised Financial Advisor at Stewart Group. If you're new to the show, Stewart Group is a CFEX certified financial planning and advisory firm serving clients throughout New Zealand with offices in Hawke's Bay and Wellington. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. Tim Yoon, how are you going, Tim? I'm very well, Ken, and you? Oh, can't complain all the better for seeing you, you know that. Absolutely, yes, sir. Now, today we're um, going to talk about risk-adjusted returns, but before we get there, just remind our listeners uh, what the Stewart Group is all about. It's a holistic financial advice company. We provide advice to our clients on wealth management, financial planning, risk insurance, KiwiSaver, and retirement advice as well. So you can jump onto the website, stuartgroup.co.nz, and all the details are there about how we help our clients. You can get a hold of me by phoning me, direct dial at the office, 0665504335, or email me, tim at stuartgroup.co.nz, and of course, a disclosure statement is available free of charge upon request. And we can come for an initial free visit, can't we? That's right, and we can just get to know you, understand what your goals are in life. You can share us share with us some of your dreams, and we can maybe be a part of helping you realise those dreams, which is such a, an important aspect of trust with the client. And you're big in KiwiSaver. Big in KiwiSaver. It's so important that people have a look at where the KiwiSaver is positioned relative to their retirement timeline. Mm-hmm. If you're closer to retirement, then there's a different set of perhaps equations and discussions and different topics that we'll put on the table as opposed to a 20-year-old that has 45 years into yeah. retirement, or, or 47 as the case may be. And you've recently introduced into your financial options uh, a new version, not a new version of KiwiSaver, but an alternative. Yeah, the, the, the two work hand in glove. Mm-hmm. You want your KiwiSaver to be your long-term goal, of course, but you could have what we call ACI funds that could go alongside your KiwiSaver. So, for example, you can make your contribution to KiwiSaver along with your employer, which is absolutely fine, but any surplus cash that you have, you might want to put into the ACI funds because the minimum investment is $50, and you can withdraw it after five days' notice. Mm. And you have three different risk options, low risk, high risk, and, and moderate, and you get a variation of the two there in that midpoint. So it allows you to potentially take advantage of an investment vehicle that would normally only be restricted to people putting funds into a retirement plan, yep. but you're not locked in. So yeah. as things change in your life and you maybe need some cash, it's not like a savings account. You no. don't have a card with it. it it's a longer-term view, but it does allow you access to an investment vehicle that normally is restricted for people sort of around the $250,000 mark, which that's is great. almost an unlocked KiwiSaver. Yeah, that's a great... Yeah. Look, we could have saved three or four minutes if I just used that. Oh, no, you could have. <laughs> You're the expert, Ken, not me. <laughs> now, what's today's topic, Tim? Well, today we're going to be talking about keeping track of your investments and emotions with risk-adjusted returns. So what we want to cover off, and I don't want to make this too heavy or clunky because mm. it can get a little bit technical, but I guess the key points here around understanding how risk-adjusted return is calculated 
and how it could help investors, you know, manage market volatility and improve long-term performance. Mm-hmm. Also, investors may make the mistake of focusing on returns in their most basic form. So, for example, they may see the bright lights of a 13.5% return, but do they really understand what is behind that 13.5% return? They may not consider the risks associated with those returns. And recently, we've seen a bit of a weakness in share markets, and it's always a provider of a reminder of why risk-adjusted returns is such an important tool for investors to use to stay on track to meet, you know, whatever the long-term goals that they have. I suppose the, the share market is uh, habitually up and down, isn't it? And you've got to be there for the long haul. You've got to be there for the long term. And that's where your emotions come in, I suppose. Exactly, because, <clears throat> you know, do you do you sell in the low because you're yeah, panicking? That's right. And then you think, oh, look, Ken's, you know, doing really well on the share market, but it's high, so I'll follow what Ken does, but I'll buy when it's high. I mean, you know... You talk to people, I mean, I was around in 1929 when the stock market crashed. You clearly weren't, Ken. Obviously. And, you know, that was just an incredible collapse of uh, the market in America there, and it led to the Great Depression. Um, you know, people often say, well, what was the trigger point? What were the trigger points? Well, there, there was overinflated share prices. There was growing bank loans. And not many people remember, but the agricultural um, industry in America, there was a lot of overproduction, which meant a lot of stock wasn't sold, mm-hmm. which affected producers, etc. There was panic selling. A lot of people brought stocks on margin, you know, yeah. borrowing against the price of the stock on the basis that it's going to improve, pay back the debt. But if it doesn't, you're left with a debt. Um, higher interest rates, and also there was quite a, I guess, a prevailing negative media industry at the time about about the share market. But of course, we also had 1997, um, which was the um, came about because of the devaluation of the Thai baht, that was the main contributor, and that was obviously the um, Asian contagion, as they called mm-hmm. it, in 97. And then the financial meltdown of uh, 2007, roughly to 2009, the Standard & Poor's 500 fell by 56.8%. And, and just to put this in context with some of the numbers around the Standard & Poor's. I mean, it's uh, an index that tracks the stock performance of the 500 largest companies listed on the stock exchange in the US, okay? Now, as of 2021, more than $7.1 trillion was invested in assets tied to the performance of that. I'll just say that again, $7.1 trillion. Mm-hmm. Now, here's where it really, and I'm getting slightly off topic, but it just, I guess I'm trying to paint a picture about the share market and prices and movements and attitudes and all these things. So the nine largest companies listed on the S&P 500 account for 30.6% of the market capitalization of the index, right? Nine companies. It measures 500. Mm. So nine companies. Now, have a guess what's at the top. Tell me. Uh, it starts with an A. <laughs> Apple. Yeah. Apple, uh, Microsoft, Amazon.com. NVIDIA, Alphabet, which was Google, um, Tesla, the meta platforms, Mm. which are uh, um, Facebook and Instagram and all of that, Berkshire Hathaway and ExxonMobil. Absolutely incredible, isn't it? Gangbusters. Yeah. I wonder, though, uh, and slightly off topic still, but... Yeah. And hindsight being 2020, Mm -hmm. do you think those huge financial crashes could have been avoided if emotions hadn't taken uh, place, you know, if, if everyone hadn't panicked? What would happen, do you think? Well, that's a really good question. And I guess we're only going to know 
in the, with the benefit of hindsight, like yeah. a very clear rear vision mirror, whereas often when we're looking at the bonnet of the car, the windscreen's a bit foggy, isn't mm. it? Uh, possibly, but yeah, I guess there are people with far more intellectual horsepower than me have probably done PhD and, and theses yeah. on all of that, wouldn't they, I guess? Sure. But what, what has happened, and this is, this is where it gets really, really interesting, and I find this absolutely fantastic. Uh, fascinating. So in America, there's the Center for Research in Security Prices. And in 1964, they did their first stock market database analysis. Now, what they did, they got the average rate of return on U.S. equities, which are shares, from 1926 to 1960. And that was measured for the first time in 1964. Mm. So they're using facts, they're using data, they're using science. It's not throwing the data at the board hoping to pick a good stock mm. from a newspaper that you yeah. pin to it. It's it's using facts. And then they dig deep and find out what were the companies that were performing quite well during that period. Mm. Where was the growth? Yeah. Where was the value? Et cetera, et cetera. Getting off, off topic, but just, I guess, bringing it back to... Um, Investments, emotions, and risk-adjusted turns. It's a vital element to a successful long-term investing process. And it's one of the points, I guess you could say, that's often overlooked or misunderstood by investors. I guess, in in my opinion, risk-adjusted returns are perhaps the most important, least understood part of investing because the return potential of any investment should always be viewed in the context of the risks it takes to achieve the return. Yeah. I guess the average person listening to this program, and when I was doing a little bit of research for it, um, I was going, wow, you know, <laughs> what is, you know, sort of thing. It's, it's just too complicated. So in layman's terms, what is risk-adjusted return? The risk-adjusted return measures the profit your investment has made relative to the amount of risk the investment has represented through a period. Now, uh, let me explain it this way. If two or more investments delivered the same return over a given time, the one with the lowest risk will have a better risk-adjusted return. Mm -hmm. Now, it's a calculation of the return of an investment considering the risk associated. Now, there are several methods to calculate the risk-adjusted returns. And look, I'll put my hand up straight away, Ken. I'm not a great mathematician. I use calculators. I I use people to show me how to use spreadsheets. You know, in fact, spreadsheets are not something I excel at. Mm. Wow, what a great pun. Thank you. Thank you very much. It is measured in comparison to a virtually risk-free investment. So what is a risk-free investment? Is there such a thing? Cash. (coughs) Is cash risk-free? Wow, someone could steal it. Yeah, that's right. You know, exactly. That's true. But if we use cash, for example, so risk-adjusted returns are often presented as a number or rating with high readings considered desirable and healthy. If two investments deliver the same return over a given period, the one with the lowest risk will have a better risk-adjusted return. Now, risk-adjusted returns are applied to individual shares, investment funds, and entire portfolios. It actually makes simple sense, doesn't it? Of course it does. Yeah. And I guess we go into that more risky uh, share portfolio with perhaps a slightly higher risk associated with if we've got a long time to wait. Yes, and diversification. Yes. You have a mixture of asset classes. You have a mixture of risk profiles and risk-adjusted returns. So I guess... 
how could I put it in a, a nice, simple way? And this helps me understand it whenever I'm talking to a client, um, just in general general terms. The speed limit, right? Yep. Let's talk about going over the speed limit. So you imagine that risk-adjusted return is, is like the speed limit of your car. Now, if your destination, say, is 110 kilometres away, you can get there in just over an hour if you stick to the speed limit of 100 k's. So you have a choice, though. You can get there faster if you're willing to drive above the speed limit, mm-hmm. okay? Now, the faster you go, the quicker you could arrive, great, and you might have some fun in your Porsche on the way, that's up to you, but at the same time, going over the speed limit increases the risk. So what would be the risk if you're going over the speed yeah, limit? Yeah, well, you're going to get a ticket, aren't you? Absolute ticket. Yeah. You could have to swerve to avoid, you know, yep. cattle on the road or anything like that. You could have an accident, something worse. Now, the faster you go, the higher the odds of a bad outcome, the greater the risk. Yeah. But isn't life all about taking risks? Oh, well, it is. And it's getting the balance right relative to you yeah. as an individual, your emotions, where you are in life, who your life partner is and their view. You know, it, it's a whole collective thing. It's not just about a tunnel vision. You've got to take a lot of factors into play and you've got to make sure that your goal, if it's way up high and I'm pointing to the ceiling, you don't keep jumping in and out mm. because that's when you lose the potential to gain when things do bounce, you see. That's that's investing is like the speed limit, if you like. If you build a diversified portfolio based on your risk tolerance, as I touched on, your investment goals, what is it? A holiday? Is it a holiday home? Is it to get your kids through university? Whatever it might be. It could be slow. It could be boring. It doesn't really matter. But it means that it could take longer to reach your destination, your investing goals. But the most likely increase of the odds of getting there. Focusing on, you know, hot trends, say, for example, remember there was um, ostriches, you know, in, in Hawke's Bay and around, around Aotearoa, New Zealand, many moons ago, everyone mm. was getting into ostriches, up and down, you know. We deal with a, a company called Dimensional. Now, they provide the managed funds that we, you know, put our funds in for our clients and all the rest of it. Now, one of the co-CEOs there, um, he's a former basketball um, professional. He um, he got tipped by um, his stockbroker um, many, many moons ago when he was a young guy. This is Dave Butler, who I'm talking about, that works for Dimensional. He got told to put all his net worth in <laughs> Boston chicken. Yeah. A, a tanked. It was an initial, you know, IPO, initial public offering. Did really well to start with, but then it just tanked completely. So concentration of risk, yep. eggs in one basket, excuse another pun there, mm-hmm. but that's what it came down to. Sure. So, you know, the faster route to your goals, it may be, you know, attractive, but you've got more of a chance of having, I guess you could say, back to the car analogy, a financial accident. Now, considering the risk and the risk-adjusted return of your portfolio, that will go a long way to helping you stay on track while, I guess, pursuing success in your investing journey. Sure. Do you think as a society, if you wind the clock back, say, I don't know, because I'm nearly 70 now, uh, if you wind the clock back, uh, to say even my parents say, are we more prone to invest in something which is a little bit more risky? Because I remember the days when you know everyone went um, bonkers about buying um, bonus bonds. Right, and you went in the door to win a million dollars, whatever. But the odds of you winning that million were so minute. But they got a lot of money, didn't they? Little risk because when you put your dollar in, it was only worth a dollar. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But the other factor there, though, is time value of money. Mm. You know, what would you have done with that dollar if you'd invested it in a you know share fund that 
was diversified and there for the long yeah. trip and all the rest of it. But and we didn't do that back then. Why didn't we? That That is the $6 million question, yeah. Ken. Great point. Education. Mm. Uh, this is just my opinion, not necessarily a viewpoint of the Stuart Group, but it is well evidenced that New Zealanders, as a general rule, are financially unsophisticated. Yes. Particularly when it comes to wealth creation, wealth management, all the rest of it. We focus on, and it can be a good thing, and it can provide cash to some people if they manage it right, bricks and mortar, trading mm. huts. But there's more to growth in your own personal space in terms of creating wealth and just trading huts. Mm. Diversification, that's that's the key to it. That's what it's all about. Okay, we're just about out of time, so if you wouldn't mind just uh, recapping, uh, give us the, the salient points about risk investment. Okay, to sum up then, risk and return are two important parts of investing. Now, risk is the chance that you might lose money, while return is the money you make from your investment, right? Mm -hmm. Now, usually investments with higher risk have the chance for higher returns. High-risk investments may offer the chance of higher returns than other investments might produce, but they put your money at high risk. This means that if things go well, high-risk investments can produce high returns, granted. But if things go badly, you could lose all the money you invested. Mm. Now, risk-adjusted returns, a sound mythology, methodology and common wisdom allows us to evaluate financial risks in differing markets. Now, the key thing is by obtaining a clear picture of the financial hazards involved in each of the investments, we can improve our decision-making and create a portfolio accordingly. Now, a portfolio tailored to you and your risk tolerance. It's so important. Now, risk-adjusted returns also allows us to compare high-risk investments to low-risk investments, comparing apples to apples, so to speak. Now, which has done best? An aggressive portfolio returning 10% or a conservative portfolio returning 7.5%. Not necessarily the aggressive portfolio. It comes down to the level of risk in the two portfolios. So the key point here is, this is where the value of financial advice and a trusted local fiduciary comes into play. Their expertise can help define your risk tolerance and what the best plan of action is for a portfolio reflective of your goals, lifestyle and time frame.